This is a Just Gold podcast. Captured on the lands of the peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation, we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. In this episode of The Invisible Woman, we are joined by our project convener, Joe Kavanagh, OAM, who talks to us about what businesses need to do to minimise invisibility for their employees, the burden of unpaid caregiving, the need for women in the decision-making process, and the golden opportunity of women in the media. My name is Joe Kavanagh, and I'm delighted to be part of The Invisible Woman project as the project convener and assisting with the impact measurement. We asked Joe, what can businesses do to prevent this ongoing issue of invisibility in women as they approach their 50s? That's a really big question because I think it's going to depend on what kind of a business it is. So if it's in retail and they're very dependent on women as their workforce, one of the first things that we want to see is giving people some permanency instead of a casualised workforce where women don't know from one week to the next how many hours they're going to get to work. Once upon a time, if you had a job and it was secure and you knew how many hours you were working each week, then you could budget and you could plan ahead. But without that security, how does anybody budget? So that's one of the first things is to look at security you offer your employees about continuity of employment and we also know through research that kind of continuity builds loyalty. So it's actually good business sense to invest in your employees. You hear it everywhere else about other skills and attributes. So that employment security, I think, is a really important consideration. I think also looking at for younger women today, who is carrying the burden of caregiving? And then there's the caregiving of children, which affects your capacity to work. But then we also know women my age and younger are also looking after aging parents. So they're still being caregivers and we're also looking after grandchildren. So there, there is no retirement <laughs> because if you're not in the paid employment, you're going to have other people that you need to be looking after. I think the reality for women is that we actually never retire because we progress from looking after children to then often looking after ageing parents and then we're back at looking after grandchildren as well. So we continue to be the critical caregivers in society. Once upon a time, there was also a proper age pension and I've heard it argued that would actually fix many of the problems that if women at least had a decent aged pension on retirement, they could continue to provide all of these unpaid services in society of caring for people and volunteering, which we need. It's part of the fabric of a good society and a good community is that people are able to contribute and to give and to care for each other. But the reality is without financial security, without housing security, people become ill and unwell they develop mental health issues, and they're no longer able to contribute. So they all will be seen as becoming a burden and a cost to society, which has actually been created by society. That is nothing to do with the value of the individual women. It's the structural 
systems that we have in place that have stopped valuing the person and the individual and their role in society. And so that's why women over 55 are finding as they age, there is no safety net for them. They're no longer caught in a safety net that holds them with financial and housing security because they are still valuable to society. They're not a burden on society. So if a woman has a house and has money, can she still become invisible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do the neighbours know? Is she on her own? Is she got family around? It's interesting in our society with the focus on being youthful and fashion statements. There's been some classic women in recent times, some older women who've become outstanding models because they're quirky and they're eccentric, but also to celebrate the value of older women. And we need to see that in the media as well. We've had some fabulous initiatives by women journalists in recent times to identify the value of older women and their place in society, but I think we've got a long way to go. We asked Jo, are women angry about this? The Women's March that happened in 2021, women were very angry and still are about the treatment of younger women in particular, Brittany Higgins, Grace Tame, the scandals that were happening, because we thought we had won those battles. We fought those battles back in the 70s and the 80s, and here they are even more entrenched than we expected. So women, yes, were very angry in that march. Were they angry about the issues for older women? I don't think so. That still has no public profile. And you would hope coming out of COVID, if we can raise the profile of this as an issue and people look around their families and their networks and ask themselves, how are these older women doing? How secure and safe are they? And what do they need to continue to contribute to society and be included? I think there's a lot of older women who have been the leaders since the 70s and 80s. And some of them, we're losing them. We've lost Senator Susan Ryan. We've lost some of the really significant women leaders who did have a very strong voice. We now have younger women coming forward with a strong voice about equity, equality, freedom from violence. As yet, we haven't, we don't have them talking about the future and what the future is going to look like for women as they age. I think we're going to have to do quite a lot of work on this to raise it because the other issue is women like me are a bit tired. We've been fighting these battles for years. And we do want to support the younger women, but we actually also need them to pick up the conversation and the issues for supporting and ensuring that their mothers, their sisters, their aunts, their friends, their colleagues can be safe and well and seen and recognised as they age. In the 70s and 80s, we marched for the freedom over our bodies in terms of abortion law reform and we marched also for equal opportunity to education and employment. And we actually thought that we had achieved that because we believed that equal access to education and tertiary education in particular, because we were in a merit-based society, would therefore give us the platform to progress. 
But what we actually learnt was that the rules shifted because we might have the same degree and the same qualifications as a man, but we don't look like the people who are already in charge and so they tend not to employ you. So all of the research that's been done from an inclusion and diversity perspective, that's not just for women, that's for people of other cultures, etc. And that we know that bias is embedded. Sitting behind that bias is a power and control issue. And you can see that in our federal parliament, just writ large, that women are unable to progress through the parliamentary system on a merits-based system and we have to have targets. I think there's a lot more agreement about the fact that there needs to be targets around equality, that there needs to be women on boards, there needs to be women in the decision-making processes. And the research is clear that where there is an equal involvement of women, you actually get better decision-making. You have the businesses themselves are more productive and more profitable because they have a diversity that includes gender diversity involved. So I think whilst there's a lot of attention now and very appropriately to the continued growth of domestic violence, which again we know increased during COVID, and women's right to be safe in terms of control of their bodies and safe from attacks and assaults and coercive control, and we're seeing progress on that. And there are a lot of men who are very involved in trying to achieve that progress as well. I still don't hear conversations that are about security for women as they age in terms of housing and financial security. We asked Jo if she thinks this issue could be solved by women alone. It's who controls the power. Who's got the power and control? And do they let women into the room? The women can stand outside and keep knocking on the door, but if they don't open the door, what do you want women to do? Become more assertive and aggressive, and that's not our way. Look, absolutely, there are examples where people will say that women who have made it through, who did break the glass ceiling, are not seen to have done enough to help lift other women with them. I don't know that there's any substantial evidence for that. Where I look around the community in grassroots organisations that are committed to supporting women, the generosity and the giving and the lifting together is very significant. I do think that one of the golden opportunities that's happening at the moment is women in the media. And we have stunning women journalists who have absolutely come to the fore in recent times, getting behind advocates and feminists and Brittany Higgins and Grace Tame, that there's a whole collection of women journalists who are now very committed to raising the voices of other women and telling their stories. So I think women having the courage to come forward and tell these stories is also an important opportunity right now so that people can see that this is real. And I hope we'll really encourage people to then just stop and think about who's in my family and how are they doing so that they make it personal because it is personal. It's older women everywhere in different cultures, in different suburbs. There's no set profile as to who are the women who are experiencing vulnerability. So hopefully through the role of the incredible journalists that we're seeing in all media, TV, print, podcast, online, social media, we're going to get more traction 
for people to stop and think and become part of a movement for the security and safety of women as they age. One of the incredible opportunities of today is the fact that we have so much more data. We have so much more evidence for proving a case to create a burning platform. So the absence of women in certain settings is now recognised together with the economic argument that actually businesses, government systems will do better if they include women. So there's data that we now have to bring to the story. It's not just about the humanitarian argument or the moral argument. It's actually also about data-driven economics, about what, what leads to better business, a better community, better governance, to have women involved. My hope for the future is that we really do develop a more comprehensive cradle-to-grave understanding of social policy and looking after people that, you know, in, rather than siloed approaches to different issues as they get traction in society, that we increasingly move towards understanding the needs of people through a life cycle and structuring our community and our policies and our governance, that we care for all ages, we care for all cultures, we care for all diversity through the life cycle. And there are some extraordinary thinkers come, who've come through in recent times with new ways of thinking about economics for sustainable futures. Kate Raworth's work on the donut economy recognising that there is a ceiling on the environmental resources and there's also a core of needs for all people and we should be running our economy in such a way that we're conscious of our finite resources but we're also providing what everybody needs through the whole life cycle. So again, I think that's one of the things that's changed is that we have more knowledge, more theories and frameworks to use for evidence-based decision-making at all levels of society to try and drive a better way forward. To do that, though, we're going to have to activate the people. And what we know is sometimes people get activated by the wrong things. How are we going to make sure that there are no alternative facts, that it is about the real facts and people have a sense of steps they can take to contribute to shaping the better society? where everybody does well and nobody falls through the gaps. The Invisible Woman Project, funded by our Social Enterprises Impact Program, promotes awareness and actions for women and gender diverse people to age with dignity, security and safety. Find out more on justgoldwomen.net or on our socials at Just Gold Women. This was a Just Gold podcast. Find out more about our social enterprise at justgold.net.